Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. So uh, before we get jumped in into Acts 13 and 14 tonight, let's pray. Father God, thank you for being here with us tonight. Thank you for your word and the stories of the book of Acts, the, the encouragement and the, and the salvation message that just comes through to Jews and Gentiles both over and over through the verses. We pray that you would just be with us here tonight. Give me the words to speak and give everyone the ears to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So if, uh, if you're a note taker, I don't know if any of you are, I know my wife just frantically writes all the time. You should have seen her trying to keep up with Pastor Gary on Sunday. It was, it was like burning the pin out. But, but if you're a note taker, there's going to be five things that I'm going to talk about tonight. This is a little bit like Sesame Street because tonight's message is brought to you by the letter H. So there's going to be five things that start with the letter H. And the teacher in me, when I used to plan all of my lessons, there would be kind of this, okay, this is what we're going to teach about. Here's my lesson. I'm going to teach it to the kids. And then at the end, I'm going to go back and I'm going to find out, did they actually learn what I taught? And do I need to teach it again tomorrow or are we good to go? So you never know, there might be a quiz Sunday morning. But we're going to have five words that start with the letter H. And the first one is helpers. And we talk about that a little bit in, there we go. Uh, We talk about that a little bit because I think God doesn't want us to be alone. This starts clear back in Genesis 2. God creates the earth and all the things in it, and he's got Adam, and then he says, it's not good that Adam's alone. I'm going to give him a helper. I'm going to give him Eve so that they can be together. You get to 2 Kings chapter 2, and Elijah goes through his big battle with the prophets of Baal, and he runs off and runs away from the evil queen and all this, and he's out in the cave by himself, and he's having just a little bit of a pity party. That's like Mudro's interpretation of the story of Elijah. But he, he eventually is talking to God, and he says, I'm the last one. I'm the last prophet. And God says, no, you're not. I've got thousands. So just relax. You're not alone. But if you fast forward just a few verses, Elisha comes on the scene. So you've got Elijah and Elisha. You've got a combo again. Second Samuel 23, you've got King David and all the amazing things that he does. But if you kind of follow David's story, there's this group of mighty men that are always there. Whether they're going into battle, whether he's running from Saul, whether he's, you know, there's a threat to his throne. There's these mighty men. And those are some crazy stories. The guy that jumps into the pit to fight a lion on the snowy day, that's my favorite story. And then we fast forward John 15, and that's where it kind of gets into us, because it says, I will send you the helper from the Father. God says, this life you're going to be in, in today's world, it's going to be a wild ride, but you're not alone. There's going to be a helper. And that's kind of what leads us into this first section of Acts 13 that we're going to talk about tonight. But before I get into 13, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Acts 11, 19 and 20 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So we've got this scattering of the church that's going on, and that's one of the great things that the history of the Roman Empire, they spread all over the place, farms and ports, and they built cities, and they connected them all with roads. So when the New Testament church just took off, they didn't have to just run off into the mountains, they just jumped on the roads that are still there today. If you ever travel to that area of Europe or or the Turkey area, those roads are still sitting there. You can still walk on them. But as as we jump ahead, you get these helpers that come on the scene. 
Now, one thing that's a little bit interesting in Scripture, and this happens in this first couple of verses of Acts 13, is that sometimes you get a little blip of a story and there's nothing else. It doesn't come back to it again. There's no additional detail. There's no real context. And so it's kind of hard to figure out who these helpers actually are. We've got Paul and Barnabas. We know that they're kind of a Batman and Robin deal. But the other guys are there also. So I was thinking about that, and out in our gym, if you've ever been out in our gym, on the far wall, there's a big, huge mural painted of a crusader. I just kind of refer to him as crusader guy, because I don't know if he has a name. But he's painted on the wall, and we were doing some renovations and remodeling in the gym over the last few months, and I wanted to find out more about crusader guy. Couldn't find anything. Nothing's written down. I couldn't find pictures in the yearbook. All that I knew was that on one of the little bricks, in little tiny paint, there's the name Frazier, And then there's this date from the early 90s. And I was like, that's all I know. It's all the context I have. So I called Mr. Ferris. Mr. Ferris was at the school, as the head of school at that time. And I said, Mr. Ferris, tell me about Crusader Guy. And he said, oh, I know all about Crusader Guy. His name was Craig Frazier. He was a student at our school. He didn't paint the mural when he was a student here. He came back later as he was an alumni. He lives in this town. It's It's fairly nearby. I know how to get a hold of him. Would you like to talk to him? So all of a sudden, I had this wealth of information about Crusader Guy from kind of a second-hand source. I didn't have anything written down that I can be like, yes, 100% true. I know for a fact that happened. But I had a guy who was there, and he told the story about Crusader Guy. So I have pretty good confidence that the information I have about Crusader Guy is true. So as we talk about these helpers that are in Acts chapter 13... There's a little bit of that going on. We're not exactly sure who these people are, but there's some contextual clues around them that guide us. Acts 13, 1 through 5 says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they were sent down to Seleucia, where they were sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So we've got some helpers, and I'm just going to talk about them briefly for a moment. We've got Paul and Barnabas. We know about them. We've got Simeon, who is called Niger. Don't know much else about the guy. Niger in Latin, that root word is for black. So you could kind of say, okay, it's the same root word as the country of Nigeria. So you could say, well, okay, maybe the guy is from Africa. We don't know. There is a historian um, that lived just after this time period that he's got some documentation that inf- implies that this is also the same person that is Simon who carried Jesus's cross. Don't know if that's true or not. Doesn't have it explicitly written in the scriptures, but it could be. There was a guy in that time period that said it was the case. We have Lucius of Cyrene. Again, Cyrene is modern-day Libya, so North Africa. Another one of these context clues, there was a historian named Oregon, Oregon or Origen, I'm not sure which, from Alexandria. He lived about 200 AD, so just after this time period. Very well-written historian. Thousands of documents attributed to him about the New Testament church. He says that this Lucius is Luke, like the Gospel of Luke author. Do we know for 100% sure? We don't, but it could be. Uh, Menaean, this one's a weird one. This, one's, this makes this scripture verse almost like the start of a bad joke, like a, a lawyer, a priest, and a doctor walk into a bar or something. There's like these guys that are along. Oh, and there's this guy that are friends with Herod. You're like, Herod? 
like, yeah, that, the bad guy, Herod, the like killed John the Baptist, Herod. Well, one of the leaders of the New Testament church appears to have lived with him or grown up with him or they, they were buddies somehow. Um, and then uh, we get, we've got John Mark. And John Mark, again, this is one of those context clues. There's another one of those historians that says, John Mark, author of the Gospel of Mark, good chance that's the same guy. I don't know for sure. But if, if all of that were true, and these helpers are the authors of Gospels, Paul and Barnabas, Peter's on the scene somewhere because he was just a, a chapter earlier. He ran to John Mark's house, Mary's house. That's a pretty heavy hitter group of helpers that are in the New Testament church. But as we fast forward our way through, we've got these helpers that are on the scene as Barnabas and Paul take off, which leads us to our second letter, H, hurdles. Because even if we have a helper, it doesn't mean that there won't be hurdles in our way. It's just an assist to get over the hurdles and on through the race. James 1, what does it say about, about trials? They're coming. Consider it all joy when you, can, when you encounter trials. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say you might. Just it's, it's coming. The trials are coming. There's going to be a hurdle. Charles Spurgeon, he was a British pe- preacher in the mid-1800s. He says this about hurdles. I like the visual image of it. Wherever there is likely to be great success, the open door and the opposing adversaries will both be found. If there are no adversaries, you may fear that there will be no success. A boy cannot get his kite up without wind, nor without a wind which drives against his kite. So that kite is never going to soar unless there's something pressing against it, the hurdles. So when we move our way forward, this is where I said, if you're a note taker and you're going to try to keep up, there's a lot of verses in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to kind of move through them pretty quickly. Um, But it says this in verses 4 through 12. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, this was a major city. This was a big Roman city. Sergius is one of the top dogs in this city. And this city was the center of the worship of the goddess Aphrodite. So one of the big heavy hitters in the Roman pantheon, Aphrodite. So there's probably a lot of crazy pagan influence in this city. The leader of it is being advised by this sorcerer, this Bar-Jesus guy. Well, Paul comes on the scene And he wants to speak to the people and says, Sergius, being a man of intelligence, he says, well, I want to hear what this guy has to say. Who is this Jesus that this Paul guy is talking about? And so he summons Paul and Barnabas. And at this point, I think Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, realizes that this isn't going to be good. If if my gig with the leader of the city is dependent on Sergius being confused... The gig may be up if he gets any time at all with Paul, this man of God that is speaking so powerfully. And I think a little bit about that with, with what Pastor Gary talked about on Sunday. That's really how the devil works. If, if it, it, did, did God really say that? This thing that's good, are, are you sure? Is, is this good evil and is this evil good? Maybe you're confused. I know you're an intelligent person, but maybe you've misunderstood. And I think that's kind of maybe what Bar-Jesus' role was in this, because it says, But Eliamus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So the devil wants us confused, but Paul wasn't having it. This is, 
This is maybe one of the craziest rebukes in all of scripture, but Matthew 13, 19, I think it kind of chimes in and it talks right here about this because it says this, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So that's the devil's last chance. He sees this very influential Roman leader that may hear gospel truth and may change his ways. And so he jumps in to try to snatch away that truth that Paul is bringing. But Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh, not today, not today. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks intently at him and said, you son of the devil. Now, if you think about the name Bar-Jesus, it means son of Joshua or son of Jesus. Paul's like, no, 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 that's not your name. You're not the son of Jesus. You are the child of the devil, and I'm going to call you out because that's who you are. And he says, you're the enemy of all righteousness. You are full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Our Jesus kind of exits the scene at this point. We really don't know what happens to him next, but he wanders off being led blind. And I wondered about that a little bit, because let's think back to Saul. At that time, one of the biggest hurdles to the New Testament church, and he's on his road to be more of a hurdle, to be more of a persecutor, and what does God do? Takes away his sight. He blinds him. And so Paul, in this moment where he's faced with someone that is tormenting the church, persecuting the church, being a hurdle, same consequence, blinded. I wonder a little bit, what what happened to Bar-Jesus? Did he take Paul's path? Did he end up doing something good with this blindness, this work of God, or not? Don't know. But I thought that was a little bit interesting. But as we move on, it it already said Sergius, being an intelligent guy, smart guy, Acts 13, 4 through 12 finishes in verse 12, within the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Love that word. That how many how many times do we hear a sermon? Do we hear a speaker on the radio? Do we listen to something and and it's like, oh, how was the sermon today? Meh. This guy was astonished at the word of the Lord. I wonder if that's maybe a challenge. Maybe we should work on being a little more astonished at the amazing things that God does. So we've got two H's now. We've had helpers. We've had hurdles. We're going to move on to history. This is where the, the thing just lights up. I don't know how long Paul really talked here, but he pretty much summarized the entire Bible up till that point in this little section of verses. And I'm not going to try to do all of that all at the same time. But it's interesting because Paul was talking to both Jews and Gentiles at this point. The Jews love their history. A lot of their stories are, it starts out like, I'm going to tell you the story of what was and what got us up to here. There's, you know, you hear all the verses of like, stack up these rocks so that when people say, well, what did God do? Well, here, let me tell you this story. You know, fathers, teach it to your sons, pass it on to future generations. So I think Paul was doing that a little bit with the Jews that were present. I'm going to tell you about this Jesus, but I'm going to tell you the story of how we got here today. And so he proceeded to do that. And then there were also the Gentiles there. It's possible that some of these Gentiles didn't really know that story. They didn't really have all of the history. Maybe they knew some pieces of it. Maybe they didn't know the whole thing. But Paul said, I'm going I'm to talk you through how we got here today. So this is where we, this is where we get going fast. Verse 15, Paul said, or the, the verses say, After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to Paul and Barnabas, saying, Brothers, 
If you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Paul, never one to miss an opportunity to share about his Savior, his salvation, jumps at the opportunity. So in 16 through 20, he kind of starts with the Hebrew people and the, the, their time in Egypt. They were slaves. They escaped. They wandered around in the desert. They crossed the river. They reclaimed, or they claimed the promised land. And that little section ends with, all of this took about 450 years. I'm not sure how much talking went on to cover 450 years of history, but I'm going to guess it was more than just a little 30-second elevator speech. Verses 16 through 20, the Hebrew people in Egypt, the wilderness, okay, 450 years, verses 20 to 22, the judges, all of them, Samuel and the prophet, the Israelites saying, we don't want judges anymore, we need a king, we want to be like everybody else. God's like, all right, fine, you asked for it, here you go, King Saul on the scene. Didn't go so well. Then King David comes on the scene. All of this happens in just a couple of verses, but it ends with, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after God's own heart. Keep on moving forward, 23 and 25, John the Baptist. So now we went from like King David all the way over to John the Baptist, and I don't know what all went in the middle there. But John the Baptist says, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The Bible says stuff sometimes, and I go, why did they say that? Why? Why did John use that example to show that like Jesus is way up here, and he's way down here, And there's an untie the sandals thing to make the visual illustration. So as I looked it up, the Jewish leaders at that time had servants. And the Jewish leaders loved to make rules about pretty much anything you could make a rule about. And so they had a series of rules on the things that you could ask your servants to do and the things that you could not ask your servants to do. Well, one of the things that the servant was not allowed to do because it was too demeaning was untying a dirty sandal. So this servant can't do that. So it's lower than the servant. So John the Baptist is saying, guys, Jesus is up here. This guy that's coming, you have no clue. I'm so far down here because John the Baptist was pretty popular at the time. And they're like, he's like, guys, you don't even know. This guy that's coming is amazing. Verses 26 to 31, Jesus was crucified. It's the whole earthly ministry of Jesus. He raises from the dead this amazing message of salvation for all people in verse 31. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles. That got added in there because just a couple of chapters ago, it was they were only preaching to the Jews. Now we move ahead. We've got Jews and Gentiles in the salvation message. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. So a quick, I don't know how many hundreds of years history lesson, off we go to our next letter, H, holiness. I wasn't quite sure, I like had this idea in my head of this is what holiness means, but I was like, okay, I'm for the first time at this church, I'm getting up in front of a group of people and I don't want to get up there and say something really important like holiness and then define it wrong. So I was like, I'll look in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster dictionary. That'll give me a great definition that will just inspire the people. It will be filled with wisdom. Worst case scenario, it's going to be something close to a fortune cookie. Merriam-Webster dictionary says, the quality and state of being holy and a title used for religious dignitaries. I'm like, well, that's not even close to fortune cookie wisdom, and it's certainly not going to fly in a service. So I dig a little deeper. If I could put like a visual asterisk on my presentation tonight, I do not have a PhD in ancient languages. I don't know how to speak Hebrew. I don't know how to translate Greek. So I got online. I looked at some Bible resources where you can like look up what, where did these root words come from? What does this word actually mean? And holiness comes from this, 
this Hebrew word of kodesh. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But in a really simple way, it just means to be set apart. It's just a separation of one thing from another thing. And so if you look at a verse, say, like Exodus 19.6, and think of that definition as you read the verse, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, my set-apart nation. You will be different than the other nations. And that salvation message comes our way. So as we move further through the sections of, of Acts 13, 27 to 31, Jesus came to the Jews, but they crucified him. But this was all part of the plan. The Jews and Satan thought, we're like, okay, we've got this. We're, we're going to mess this plan up. But the crucifixion and the resurrection and the salvation that came from it, that was all part of the plan all along. And there comes two words in this section, and it's my favorite two words in all of Scripture. I think it's probably the most powerful words in all of Scripture, and it's only six letters long. Because you get to verse 30, and it says, But God raised him from the dead. And I wonder how powerful but God is. The wages of sin is death, but God changed that. Our rebellion against him is great, but God accounted for that by sending his son. So those words, they're so powerful because humanity is like, we killed the son of God. We've ruined the salvation message. We're going to get to do whatever it is we want. But God said, no, I have a different plan to save my people from their sins. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it catches that but God phrase again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, I think if, if you don't remember any of my letter H's, you won't pass the quiz, but if you remember that as you journey through life, no matter what the hurdles are, no matter what the trials are, but God gets you through it. So this is going to move us to healing. This is going to move us to our fifth letter H. We'll see who's ready for the quiz. Moving into Acts chapter 14. There was like 900 verses of history right there that we just raced through in six and a half minutes. Acts 14, 1 through 7, traveled, Paul travels to Iconium, but left due to persecution. It says, there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their leaders. I wonder what Paul's message was. What was it when he got up in front of the synagogue or the city square or whatever he was, that he, he offended the Jews, he upset the Gentiles, he's got their leaders all bent out of shape, and they decide, you know what, we're done. We're tired of this guy, we're going to kill him. Well, Paul and Barnabas got word of that ahead of time. They, they took off, they, they left, because they knew that this wasn't going to be good. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews. They found out, and they hightailed it. Um, we've got healing, number one. There's two healings we're going to talk about in here in this letter H. Um, verses 8 through 10, he traveled, Paul and Barnabas, they travel to Lystra, and they encounter a lame man. There's two action verbs that happen in here. They both start with the letter L. There's a listen and a look, so pay attention. It says, he, the lame man, listened... To Paul. It wasn't like Paul was speaking and he was just over here somewhere. Paul was preaching something powerful. This guy tuned in and he listened. And then Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had the faith to be healed. And he called out, Stand up on your feet. 
And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And I wonder how often in our lives like that. God's talking. There's a message for us. I know in our church this year, we've talked a lot about healing. And God can heal in amazing ways. But I think there's a component in there that rings true for our lives. God's going to speak, and we need to listen. Because if God's over here trying to work, and we're just over here content to do our own thing, I wonder, is, is God going to look at us and see that we have the faith to be healed And then he works. Not that God can't work however he wants. He's God. But I think there's a, he's going to speak, we need to listen, and he's going to see our act of faith as we do that. The verses continue on, and the people see this miracle, and they're like, oh, Paul and Barnabas, you guys are gods. You're Zeus and Hermes. And Paul is like, you've missed everything I have been trying to tell you. I am not a god. And they like tear their clothes, and they're so upset because they would never want to take Jesus' spot and so they, I wonder, I'm like, guys, come on, listen, pay attention. Um, but they weren't. But I wonder, there's a historical, there's a legend that supposedly in this time period, Zeus and Hermes came down from the heavens looking like men. And they go to a little village and they stay in the house of this old couple. And the town doesn't recognize them for the gods that they actually are, except for the old people where Zeus and Hermes are staying. And so Zeus and Hermes get mad and they kill the whole town except for the old people. Just wipe them out. And then they go back up to wherever they came from. Well, that's the Roman legend of what Zeus and Hermes did. So I wonder a little bit, maybe did those people know that legend? Had they already heard that? So that there was a historical context of like, okay, well, we're not going to make that mistake. If this is Zeus and Hermes, we're going to call them out. And if we're wrong, no harm, no foul. But that just, Paul and Barnabas were like, guys, come on, this is Jesus. This is the salvation message. This is the most incredible sermon or service you're going to hear in your entire life. It's going to change your eternity. And you're all confused. So that Paul keeps preaching, though. He keeps talking, and the verses go on to say, and many people heard and believed. So it didn't end there with some crazy story of Zeus and Hermes. Um, So you've got healing number one. Let me get to my right spot. Um, where they looked and listened. You've got healing number two that comes up in this next section. Because again, Paul's got some people all riled up. I wish I could have heard Paul speak. I have no idea what kind of a speaker he was. I don't know if he was like a sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of guy. If he was like, I'm just going to like talk and visit with you. He was an intelligent person. He was well-learned. I'm sure he gave quite the sermon. Um, But man, did he seem to just leave just... It's like, what's the Snoopy character that, like, the dust just is flying around his head all the time? It's like that every time Paul speaks. Pigpen. Um, I don't know if that's a bad connection between Paul and Pigpen, but maybe. Um, But anyways, then some Jews from Antioch, which is where this story started, and Iconium won the crowd over. So Paul's speaking. These other guys come, and they influence the crowd and convince the crowd that Paul's the bad guy. And then they stoned Paul, drag him outside of the city, thinking he's dead. Now, I've been a history teacher for a long time before I got into school administration, and one of my absolute favorite periods of history to study is ancient Rome. Love it. But I've, so I have studied what stoning looks like. It's not like the boy that thinks the girl's cute, and so he flirts by throwing a rock at her. Like, that's not stoning. Like, these are big rocks. These are jagged instruments. This is lots of people hurling them with great force. Some stories say it's big, huge rocks that they just drop on people. Like, this isn't good. So they do this to Paul. They drag his body outside of the city gates and leave him there thinking he's dead. 
So healing number two comes in verse 20. And this is one of the most casual conversation type verses I've ever read in all of the scriptures. But after the disciples had gathered around him, Paul, down here on the ground, he got up and went back in the city. Like, what? Like, was, was, there, was there some other verses in there that got erased? Like, how, how did this happen? Like, he just got hit with lots of rocks lots of times, and they left him outside thinking he's dead. And ten words later, he just gets up and walks back in the city. And I thought about the miracles that come in the mundane. Sometimes we pray for a miracle, and what we want is lightning bolts coming from heaven, or a river parting in front of us, or a blind guy that just suddenly sees. And sometimes God works in the, in the small things, the mundane. We talked a little bit about Elijah earlier tonight, but you, that whole series where Elijah's in the cave, it starts out where there's the fire came, and the earthquake came, and all this noise, and all this crazy, and God wasn't in all of the crazy. God came with the whisper, the small, still voice, and he talked to Elijah, and Elijah heard him at that point. So can God work with lightning bolts and parting rivers? Absolutely. But does he work every day in the small things? The Paul just got up and walked, and the miracles happen, and if we aren't watching, we might miss them. If you skip over it, if you skip back to to Luke. The same kind of thing happens. I love how the scriptures are written, but same kind of thing. Jesus has a crowd kind of all spun up. They don't like what he's going to say. They don't like what they're hearing. And they kind of rush him outside of town to a cliff, and they're going to throw him off the cliff and kill him. And the Bible verse says, basically, Jesus just walked through the crowd and left. Like, it's again, it's one of those, like, I'm, I'm missing, I missed a piece in there somewhere. Some, something happened that somebody didn't write down for me. But the miracles are often in the mundane. So we've got some healing. We've got a couple of different things that have gone on there. One of them is the looking and the listening, and one of them is the miracle in the mundane. And that kind of gets us to the end of our five H's for the evening. So we have helpers. God doesn't want us alone on this journey. He created Eve for Adam so that they could be together, and he sent the Holy Spirit to us. So in this journey, this walk of life we're on, as difficult as it can be at times, you aren't by yourself. There is a helper that came from God that is right there walking the journey with you. We have hurdles. Life isn't easy. Just because we have a helper, it doesn't mean that the, the, the road is straight and there are no potholes ahead. And James says, it's coming. Consider it all joy because the trials are on their way. And remember the quote from Spurgeon, the kite, as cool as they are, without a wind blowing against it, can't soar. History, God's plan isn't random. People think that they can do what they want. People think that they can disrupt God's plan. But Jesus was part of the plan. He came to save us from our sins. He was crucified. He was buried. He raised again. And it gave us the opportunity to spend eternity with God in heaven. And that history, that story works its way from the Israelites clear back in Egypt to Jesus raising from the dead to us sitting here tonight. That salvation message is for each of us. Holiness, but God, we were all sinners, but God. We are all rebellious, but God. Terrible things happen, but God is there. Those two words, six little tiny letters, but man, the power behind him. And then the healing. The lame man, had he not listened, 
he would probably have continued to be the lame man. That listening showed the faith that healed him. And the mundane miracles, the little things that come across our paths in life that we can say, I was hoping for a massive lightning bolt, but I see you working, God. I see you in my life. I see you preparing for whatever it is you have next for me. So five H's. I'll probably see a bunch of you on Sunday morning. I might ask you what one of them is. We'll just see if you were actually awake and listening. Um, but uh, just as a quick reminder, I'm going to close us out in prayer, but just as a quick reminder, Sunday morning, Sunday school's at 9 o'clock, Sunday service right here at 1030. And I think that if I were going to say anything you could remember tonight, it isn't Amarillo by morning. But God is still doing amazing works in this church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for our church. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word tonight. I pray that it was good and that people heard and that people learned. I pray that you would just work miracles, whether they're huge lightning bolts or they're in the mundane here in each of the people's lives tonight, that you would work miracles in our church. Lord, I pray for our leaders as they are working on finding your next head pastor for this church. I pray that you would just give them wisdom as they walk that path. God, thank you for BFA and for Stockdale Christian School and all the people that make this ministry such an amazing place. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, Check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.